Today's Old Testament reading is taken from the book of Psalm, chapter 51, verses 1 through 7. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading is taken from the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Today, uh, as we begin our study of First John, I just want to, of course, welcome all of those who are viewing us on Zoom, but also to think a little bit of what we started last week, looking at this book of 1 John. It's a very short book, almost at the end of the Bible. It contains only five short chapters. And I would suggest if you're going to study it uh, in detail, you could also read the Gospel of John, the other, one of the other books that John has authored, as God's Spirit has inspired him. And in that, you may have a chapter or half of a chapter that deals with what he mentions here in one phrase or one short verse. So I'd encourage you to be looking at that. And also, I've been writing a study guide for these sermons. And if you would like to have that, I will try to have the one for next week on the Monday before You can just go to the church website, and under the sermons, there's a place where you can download, and the study guide would be there for you as well. Now, John is a different writer, as God inspires him to write, than Paul, for example. Last week, we mentioned several things, one of those being that Paul 
as a, for example, tends to write everything in a very orderly, logical, two plus two equals four. He will say we have all sinned, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. One plus one equals two. However, John writes in a different manner. It's almost as if he is going to write not only in a circular manner, because we will find that John repeats again and again that which is very important to him. You'll remember as we read last week's verses, that in four verses, three times, he has come and said the same thing. He said, I saw him, I touched him, I heard him, and I watched him. And he repeats that three times. The importance of what he had experienced in the coming of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And he saw him, he heard him, he touched him. And you even find to the place where at the cross, just before Jesus cries out, it is finished. There's that immense moment that John records in his own writings about the death of Jesus, where it says, and Jesus looked out, and he saw his mother, and he looked and he saw John, who John says, the one who he loved, the disciple, and he said, you, behold your mother. And he said to his mother, you, behold your son. And then he concludes by saying, and from that moment on, John took her into his own house as his mother. He heard, he saw, he touched, and yet after the resurrection, he heard, he saw, he touched. The reality of a God who's not only come in the person of Jesus Christ, but who has died and tasted death for all of humanity, and yet is risen. I saw, I touched, I heard. And not only does he go in a bit of a circular thought, but there's also this thought flow which he repeats again and again. And as he goes in a circular thought, it's not a simple repeating of what he said before, but it's like a drill going deeper and deeper and deeper. And each time he gives a more full illustration or example of that which he is teaching about. And he does that in the same way as he repeats. Remember, in verse 1, he talked about from the beginning, but in verse 2, he says, and that word of life. And then in verse 3, he goes on with that same sense and said, and that life which was manifest or revealed. So he attaches the one who was with the Father at the beginning to the word of life, which in the gospel, he begins by saying, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes on. And then, just so we don't miss the point, then he says in the following verse, and that life which was with the Father, that eternal life, is the one that was manifested. And so he's brought us from understanding that Jesus is God, to that God came in the person of Jesus and he revealed himself to us that as we look at him, as Jesus says in John 14, as his disciples say to him, show us the Father, it will be enough. And he says, well, how long have I been with you? And if you've seen me, 
you have seen him. And so John teaches us in that way. But then the great thought, remember from that first verses we looked at, is he says, and I write this to you that we would have fellowship together. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we remember that that fellowship has many meanings, but two of those that are very important is fellowship can be a very deep relationship, like in a marriage that has been an excellent marriage and has gone on for years, as they come closer and closer and a deeper relationship is there. Or it could mean because something else, because John has said, and our fellowship is with one another. That's not a married relationship. But it is also with God the Father and with God the Son, Jesus Christ. That relationship he seems to be describing, what do we share? You see, the other definition, the other meaning of fellowship is that we jointly, together, share the same thing. Like Peter had a fishing company. He shared a boat with his brother. They both had possession of, they shared the same thing. He says that fellowship we have, that you and I have, is with the Father and with the Son. What do we share with Him? Eternal life. He in us, as Jesus prays in John 17, O Father, show them that I am in you, and you are in me, and we are in them. You see, eternal life is more than just a chronological concept that has no ending. It goes on and on and on. It does do that. Eternal life just doesn't begin when we reach heaven. It is part of it, yes. But it is more. Because Jesus says, Oh, Father, eternal life is to know you, the only true God, and your Son who you have sent. And how do we have that? Is that we have that presence of God, the eternal life of God in us. I am in you, Father, and you are in me, and we are in them. John, to me, has expanded the idea of eternal life and helps us understand. And then we come to the verses that we have read to us today. Beginning in verse 5. And John there is going to walk us through what it means. How to understand this eternal life. And what it means to be living with God in us. And we in God. Forgiven. And he says as he begins there in verse 5. He gives a characteristic or not, it's more than even an attribute of God. He's going to describe who God is. And look what he says. This is the message that we have heard from him. In other words, this is the message that as I heard, as I looked, as I touched, as I observed him, the God who had come in the flesh and the God who raised from the dead. Here is the message. This is the concise message what he is saying and demonstrating to us. And look what he says. This is the message that I preach to you, I proclaim to you, that God is light. 
and in him is no darkness at all. In other words, the concept of God that we must get a hold of and understand as we are going to walk with God and experience eternal life in him that begins the moment we invite God to enter our lives. If we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved, it goes on. He says, because with the heart, one believes to justification. In other words, we believe that God has, in the person of Jesus, given his life for yours and mine. And when we believe that, then God the Father sees and he declares us a theological word, justified, which is like a judge saying, no longer guilty. It isn't that we're innocent, but we're declared no longer guilty, forgiven. But he says, this is the one. This attribute, this characteristic, this very person of God is so important that he is, God is light. And I must admit, admit, as I first read this, I began to have questions. I said, you know, John, if you were preaching in 2022, you would not have begun with God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And I wrestled with this because I thought, certainly, John, you will begin with God is love. And as I wrestled with this, I found out that John was right. You see, when we begin to understand that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all, and we begin to experience the reality of a God who is light, enlightening our very souls and hearts into the depth of who we are, then we realize as never before that He's an incredible God of love. Because He comes and He speaks to us. He reaches out to us. He is actually in the person of Jesus Christ given His life for us. And we begin to understand that in a whole new level. But He says we must get a hold of that as we start because He is light. What does it mean God is light? Certainly light reveals. You walk in and turn on the switch and you see as you've not seen before. In the beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created. And the very thing he created to begin with was light. That could begin to take away darkness. And he goes here and he says, light, or it's not only that. And, you know, I think John is writing to us to help us understand as that light, God whose light comes and lives within us, and we live in him there are going to be certain results of that as we move forward. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. I think the reason I prefer God is love is because sometimes I think I find that light seems to me to be like a list of rules and regulations. And I don't know if that is going to work, but it talks about not only is God light in that way that he lights up everything, but he is also an absolute when it comes to morality. There's a difference between light and darkness. Listen, how John expresses that in John chapter 3 of his gospel. 
is probably the most, at least recently until the last five years, the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3.16. I'm going to begin reading with that. But I think it tells us something about the world in which we live. Now, at least in North America, the most Googled verse in the Bible is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. It's switched. But listen to what he says here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He begins with God loving. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But then listen. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. As Jesus expresses it in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father than through me. But then listen, he starts to bring together light and love. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed and whoever does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, when the light of God comes, we have to choose whether we accept the love of God and walk in the light or we stay in darkness. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, And I am the light of the world, and he who would follow me will not walk in darkness, but will walk in the light of life. And it comes right after those verses where the woman who's been caught in adultery and the religious people have brought her, saying she has sinned, what will you do with her? The law said we should stone her to death. And it's amazing, I think I referred to this a few weeks ago, just before Christmas, as Isaiah said, there will come a great light. But as Jesus is saying that to them, then he says, okay, Whoever is without sin, you may take the first stone and throw it or begin the stoning process. And it says he knelt and he wrote in the dust. And then it says, I I like, I think it's actually Luther translation in German where it says, the alter Männer gingen zuerst raus. The old geezers left first. Like me. Why? Because suddenly the light of God had come. And either, as John says there in chapter 3, either you love the light, or the light, because it is light, is going to reveal everything that's in your soul, in your heart, not to condemn you, but that you might come, and as he's going to say in a bit, we might confess, we might find the blood of Christ cleansing us. That we walk in fellowship with the Father 
and with the Son and experience the reality of eternal life of God living in us today. And so John, as he explains this, I would just like to note to you, in the next five verses, he begins every verse the very same way. If we, And the thing that blessed my heart as I was reading it again is I suddenly realized John didn't say, if you. But he said, these, if we, because these are personal lessons that John himself had learned as being a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And he says, these are things that I too have experienced. And look what he says as he begins the first if. If we say, we have fellowship with him, And do not practice the truth, or excuse me, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The first thing John says that we will learn when the God of light comes into us and we are saying we're walking with him, there is a change in us and the way we live our lives. Paul has written it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when he says, Behold, if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away, and behold, the new has come. And here John says, If God is in you, and if you claim you have fellowship with God... You cannot continue, we cannot continue living in darkness. He says, because at that point we are no longer practicing truth. Notice how in each time Paul, or excuse me, John refers to dealing with this light in our life, he couples it with truth. You see, light reveals truth. And he says, if we do not expect to change, if we say, I go on just like I was ever, but I say I am a follower of God, and we have not experienced that new creation, that change from who we were to who we become, that does not, just in parentheses, let me say, that does not make us perfect. John will begin to explain to us, that does not make us perfect, that, but that puts us onto the process of the work of God continuing in our hearts and lives. And there he says to them, God expects a difference. I mentioned to you earlier about friends that we had in our church in Cumberland whose lives were in different ways. And the beautiful thing was to see people that you would meet who knew them. And they would talk about, well, I knew him before. And then I knew him after he got into this God thing or he began to attend church and who he was before was a good guy, but who he is now is totally different. John says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and while we walk in darkness, look what it says. It says very simply, we lie. That is not the truth. And we do not practice truth. Now, serving God is not a series of rules and regulations, but we as believers and followers of God should expect the light of God within us to begin to reveal things not to condemn us, 
but to walk with us and help us. You see right here he's saying, but in the next verse he says, if we say we have, excuse me, if, but if we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light, let me just say, in chapter 1, John is going to tell us it is very important where we walk, how we live our life. Is it in God, in the light, or is it in darkness? In chapter 2, he's going to say how we should walk. As Jesus walked, walked just like that. But here, and for us this morning, the question is where are we walking? In the light or in darkness? As the light of God comes, we have a choice. And he goes on, he says, if we uh, have that, he says, as as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the great thing, the answer that he gives. As this light reveals different things in our life, what do we do with that? Well, we can do like the men in chapter 8 of John. We can go away, or we can come to the light. What is the light going to do? What will God do? He says, through the blood of Jesus Christ, he cleanses us from all sin. How is it possible that the blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse us? Remember in the Old Testament, when a person had sinned, there's a thing called a sin offer, offering. And what the person did is God was showing the people a, a literal example of what was going to happen in the spiritual world and life. They would bring a sheep or a goat or a bull, and literally for a sin offering, you would lay your hands on the head of that animal. One would confess the sin with the idea that the sin was being transferred from the person who the responsibility of that sin from the person who had committed it to this sacrifice. We would confess over the sacrifice and then the life would be taken from that. The blood would be taken and poured out on the altar. That was because in the book that deals with so much of Leviticus of, of the offerings and such, listen to what it says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and listen to what God says. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by its life. In other words, there is in God's way a sacrifice, a life that can be given for our lives. And that's that pouring out of the blood, the very life. Why is that important? Abraham, in Genesis chapter 22, he has his promised son, Isaac. And they are going up the mountain because God has said, go and offer your son as an offering. It's an incredible challenge. And the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 tells us that Abraham did this by faith because he believed that God was going to raise him from the dead. But as they walk up that mountain, and Isaac must have been a young man at that point, he looks and he says, Father, we have the wood for the fire, and we have the fire with us, but we do not have an offering for the sacrifice. 
And the father turns to his son. And in a word of faith, he uses a, a name of God. And he says, son, on the mountain, Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. And they go to the mountain. They build the altar. They lay the wood. And he binds his son and puts him on the altar. And as the knife is ready for a sacrifice, the voice of God penetrates the world from heaven and says, Stop! Now I know you love me. And then he said, Look! And over in the bushes, it says there was a a male sheep, a ram, that was caught by its horns. So there was no damage to it. And God says, go take that sacrifice. And look what happens. You take that substitute sacrifice and you put it on the altar and you take your son off. The substitute goes to the altar and the one who should have been sacrificed comes free. In Luke chapter 23, as Jesus is being tried, the Pilate, the official, says, I find no guilt in him. He is innocent. And the religious people shout out, crucify, crucify, crucify. And they says, what shall I do with him? And they say to him, give us Barabbas. You remember the account? A man who was convicted of many things. And in that, Barabbas, the guilty, goes free. And Jesus, the innocent, goes to the cross. The guilty goes free because the innocent gives his life for that. The substitute. In God's working, he has allowed there to be a substitute for you and me. Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. They describe it like this. They say that God nailed everything that was all on the list of all that we had ever done, thought, been, that was against God. He literally took it, and on the day Jesus was crucified, it says literally he nailed it to the cross. Literally the body of Jesus was nailed, but God in his righteousness put upon him all of our sin. And now John is saying to us, that as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness because he's the substitute. He gave his blood, his life. And then John is not satisfied. He goes on to the next if. And he writes there, he says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, there in verse 8. In other words, he says, then the argument sometimes would come and say, but I'm not really guilty. I'm not really a sinner. I'm good. I'm not like some of those evil persons in history. I am good. He says, but if we believe that, he says, we have deceived ourselves. In other words, we have told ourselves a lie and we've chosen to believe the lie. 
And he says the truth is not in us because the Bible very carefully says, and all have sinned. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. And then it goes on and says, but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. All. And then John goes on in verse 9 and he says another if, if, uh, excuse me, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an amazing truth. If we confess, if we realize, yes, I am, I am a sinner. Yes, I am lost without a Savior. You see, if we say, I'm good, I don't need a Savior. And much of our world and our philosophy has told us that man is basically good. The Bible will say that mankind is lost. And we need a Savior. We need this Jesus who has come. And I quoted this verse to you again, but let me just read it, what Paul, how Paul describes this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Then listen to how he describes it happens. For with the heart one believes and is justified. We believe that Jesus died as the substitute in my place. And that would declare us, God could say, because of my son Jesus, I now pronounce you forgiven, no longer guilty. And he says, goes on and he concludes that by saying, and with the mouth one confesses to salvation. You see, it's not simply enough to say, okay, I think that's right. He says, but you must wholeheartedly agree in your heart and soul that he is God. And he died for me. Then the final thing he says, look what he says in verse 10. The final, if we say. If we say, we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. In some ways, I find this verse probably the strongest of all of them. In other words, what is he saying here? He is saying, and I think it's the verse which applies to 2022 more than almost any one of the verses we've already read. He's saying, if you say, if we say, well, actually, I know the Bible says it's sin, but I'm going to say it's not. The trouble with that is, if the Bible says it is, we, by doing that, declare God a liar. Isn't that powerful stuff? Or if we say that all roads lead to God, when Jesus has said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Or if we say, well, truth Whatever is true for you is fine, but true for me is I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You see, when God is specifically said, John is saying, there we cannot say it's not this if God has said it is this. Not that God says it that way to judge us, but to help the light of God shine within the depth of our heart and soul and mind, that we would then confess and we would own it. We'd say, God, you are right. 
And I confess this before you. And then he says he will cleanse that with the blood of Christ. He goes on to say, because God is faithful and just. He has promised and he will do it. And he will not simply sweep it under the rug, but he has come in the person of Jesus to deal justly with all of this and yet reach out to us in his love. These are strong words, aren't they, that John has written. But they are to help us to know what to expect as we walk with God. And God, who is light and in him is no darkness, comes into our lives and begins to reveal this and that. Because some people, as they become Christians, as they become uh, really followers of God, almost think, well, I was better before. Now it looks like it's a mess in my life. It could simply be that the light of God has begun to show the reality, not to condemn, but that through that we would find him and find forgiveness. He says, not only will he forgive, he will cleanse from all unrighteousness that we know we have eternal life, that we know that we are walking in the light with God. It's amazing scripture. May as you go into this week, I'd ask you just to review it. And as you review, if there are things that God begins to point out in life, would you do what they say? What he says in chapter, or verse 7 and also in verse 9, if we confess, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses. And experience that reality. And then walk with him each day. God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for these verses from John. And thank you most of all, Lord, it is so encouraging that he wrote with the if we. It was something that he also had worked through in his life. It is something that he had experienced in the reality of, the, of God and eternal life. And I pray for each person who's here this morning that you would help us to make those conscious choices to walk in the light and not to turn and run away from you, but to embrace your light as you reveal in our hearts and lives all those things that need to be put in order. But then, Lord, as they are put in order by forgiveness, by cleansing, might we rejoice and experience the absolute joy of fellowship with God and confidence that you are walking with us. Because, Lord, it says, as we walk with him, as he is in the light. I pray for each one here today, may they experience this week walking in the light of God with God himself. In Jesus' name, amen.